This is Still Standing with Michael Caputo, episode 29. Coming up on today's show, Inviting Crazies, Clinton Inc. versus Uncle Joe, and things you gotta check out. All that and more on the way on Still Standing. No talking points, no spin, it's politics you can't put down. This is Still Standing with Michael Caputo. Hi, welcome back to Still Standing with Michael Caputo. I'm Michael Caputo and I really appreciate you tuning in. I'm off on the road again this week. It's been a little bit, little while since I've been traveling around, been trying to stay home with my family. Um, and uh, so I'm taping this, or recording this, uh, taping it makes me sound so old. I'm recording this uh, just on my iPhone. The audio is gonna be a little bit different, a little bit uh, different quality, but anyway, the information will still be top-notch stuff. So I'm uh, down in Florida uh, attending a conference and giving some speeches on the Mueller investigation. And, uh, of course, I'm spending my time also reading, reading the press, trying to keep up with what is going on. And, oh, my gosh, there is so much going on in the media. Um, we're all waiting for the Mueller investigation's report to be released by the... Uh, by the uh, Attorney General, I think. I expect it between mid-April to late April. I know the left and the Democrats in Congress are wringing their hands over the release of the document, trying to pretend that Attorney General Barr and the White House are hiding something, that they're, they're, they're blocking the report's release, that somehow or another there's a conspiracy that involves Robert Mueller <laughs> to withhold the information from the American people. Of course, that's complete bullshit. We all know it is. It's just they have a really good opportunity, these leftists, the, the media, the compliant media, and of course the never-Trumpers, they have an incredible opportunity for a couple of weeks to go out there and wring their hands about how this report must be released and the White House is conspiring with Attorney General Barr and Mueller is a part of it. Again, they got a couple of weeks to do this and raise money from it and get headlines and you've got the shifts and the Squalwells and the Nadlers out there wringing their hands on camera, getting the headlines they need, doing the guest appearances on CNN and MSNBC. Of course, it's all a charade. It's theater. It's politics on a particular brand of American politics where, you know, they're just out to raise money, destroy people, and find themselves a faster track to hell. And they're finding it, especially these folks I just previously mentioned. But of course, you've got some interesting uh, commentators from cable television out there saying the most outrageous things. Things that really highlight the fact that they're not going to give up this Russia fiction, this hoax of Russian collusion. They're not going to give it up. And uh, it's going to continue. The ones who are really so unhinged about this, the ones who 
are appear to be nearly mentally ill with this Russia collusion hoax. People like Seth Abramson and others, they're insisting that it is it truly exists. David Korn of Mother Jones, who I consider, you know, a colleague. I've known him. I've had drinks with him. He's a decent guy. You know, I don't I don't agree with him on much, but he's a decent guy. He's out there saying there's ample proof and that the Russia the Russia collusion really happened and Trump's people were really doing it. And somehow or another, the, uh, what is it, 17 angry Democrats or whatever uh, Donald Trump or the president used to say, the 17 angry Democrat prosecutors of the Mueller investigation, one who uh, what uh, was the Clinton Foundation attorney, another who represented the Clintonite who smashed all the cell phones with a hammer, you know, all these uh, folks who maxed out to the Hillary Clinton campaign, somehow or another, they weren't aggressive enough. They weren't motivated enough. They were too weak, didn't really do their job, surrounded by professional FBI agents, guys, and you know, women and men who were devoted to their task and, you know, doing a a solid job. I mean, I was intimidated by these people when I went to talk to them. They were, they were very clearly focused 100% on their job. And yet, somehow or another, this group failed at their task, right? And the people who are going to do a good job looking into Russian collusion, they're the Democrats in the House of Representatives, right? Yeah, not really. Nobody believes that. But now that the report is being redacted, we learn that, of course, Robert Mueller himself is helping Attorney General Barr with the redactions. And we know that, that the redactions are necessary. They're going to have, you know, uh, methods, whatever they call it, uh, uh, you know, uh, how they've you know, recovered intelligence uh, uh, information from foreign governments, etc. That, all that stuff needs to be redacted. Of course, grand jury information needs to be redacted. It's against everything our rule of law, our legal system stands for to reveal grand jury information. Uh, especially key grand jury information in a public report. So this will be redacted. And when the report comes out with these necessary redactions, which protect national security and our legal system, the Democrats will wring hands about that. Absolutely no question that's the next step. And you know it as well as I do, that the Democrats in the House and the activist left and the compliant media will say, can you believe how much black ink is on these pages. It's outrageous. And the American people are being duped. Mueller is part of a conspiracy with Barr and the president. As stupid as that will sound, they will do it because it will help them raise money. Now, there is a problem with this, of course. There are many problems with it, beyond the fact that it makes these people look like idiots. The problem is, as more and more sensible people who were willing to believe the fiction that, that Russia and the Trump campaign colluded in order to defeat Hillary Clinton, the reasonable people who were caught up in the wake of that fiction, as they walk away more and more, as, as we see the more intelligent reporters that aren't in it for political reasons, who are absolutely devoted to the, the craft of journalism, and yet we're still kind of curiously duped into believing this collusion hoax. The ones who wrote stories and checked their facts, and, you know, let's face it, um, there were a lot of uh, facts that, that were out there. 
uh, that lined up with the fiction of the collusion hoax. You know, really, there was no collusion, of course, but the idea that there were Russians in Trump Tower for a meeting, well, that looked bad. You know, there were no, there was no Russian collusion, but the fact that a Russian who works for the FBI uh, called me and had a conversation with me for two minutes, that looked bad, right? So, you know, some of those facts were interesting to these reporters, and they, even though they're pretty solid, you know, pretty solid journalists, and they're walking away. One by one, they're walking away. And the problem with these Democrats still touting this hoax so that they can raise money and get headlines and get on television with the compliant media, the problem is the crazies. And I don't mean the ones who appear crazy like, you know, Rachel Maddow, who, you know, between crying about the loss of her hobby horse, the Russia collusion uh, hoax, and figuring out how she can continue to ride that horse into ratings, I don't consider her nuts. She's not going to pick up a gun and fire, but some will. And I'm actually uh, enduring, uh, I've had two death threats or violence threats in the last 10 days. Luckily, I've had both of them charged. But the people, the people who are losing their mind over this, they're losing it because as they watch legitimate journalists walk away from this, as they watch some of the Democrats in the Senate and the House stop talking about this, as they see some of their friends you know, in public life say, well, of course, if Mueller didn't find anything, there was nothing. These crazies feel more and more isolated. And the more they see people that they respect walk away from the hoax, the more they believe that those people, they shouldn't have trusted them all along. They've joined the Mueller-Trump bar conspiracy to hide the Mueller report from Mueller, to hide the Russian collusion. Yeah, there are people that will actually believe that. We're seeing it now. If you actually are on Twitter, you see people actually accusing Mueller, Barr, and the Trump White House with working together to conceal true conspiracy with the Kremlin to defeat Hillary Clinton, as if we needed to conspire with anyone to defeat Hillary Clinton, probably one of the most disliked presidential candidates in modern times. But, you know, there are those crazies everywhere. I get my share of them because not only was I some kind of a marginal player in the Trump campaign and a marginal player in the, uh, in the uh, uh, collusion investigations, I lived in Russia for seven years. I actually worked for the Kremlin and then with the Kremlin for those seven years. I forget the fact that I was sent there by the... the uh, the Clinton administration to meddle in Russia's elections. Oh, no, they don't remember that part, right? But I got my share of these crazies. Two in particular uh, in the last 10 days sent death threats to me via Facebook. I've identified both of them with the help of, uh, of the, the police in my village outside of Buffalo, New York, and uh, they've both been charged. Uh, the first one is actually in Buffalo, this crazy is actually the head of, executive director of, or director of admissions of a culinary institute in Buffalo. Master's degree, this guy, right? Master's degree. And not a nutty old man, a young guy. And the other one is more of a nutty old man type. 
much more of a nutty old man type, and he's outside of Chicago, Illinois. Both of them sent, you know, pretty frightening threats. You know, I've I've gotten that's the the last one was my 59th. Um, I've only been able to identify, you know, let's say one fifth of those. But uh, you know, the uh, the 59th one out of uh, Chicago. Uh, came from a guy whose Facebook revealed that he threatens people all the time. And there was one entry on his Facebook where he was like, I, to, to this one guy, says, I'm going to kill you. And the guy says, please don't kill me. He says, I'm going to find you. I know where you live, and I'm going to kill you. And they go back and forth. This guy is a nutter, an absolute unhinged leftist crazy bastard, right? And so he, you know, the... the uh, the local police in my uh, my village outside of Buffalo, uh, they contact the police in his town outside of Chicago, and the police say, well, you know, we haven't had any contact with this man, so we don't know much about him, but we're willing to cooperate with your police force. And our policeman, the detective from my village, called this nut job, and the nut job actually told him that I have been harassing him on Facebook. Yes, I apparently know who this nut job is outside of Chicago, Illinois, in a town I've never been to, a man whose name I've never heard, and you never have either. And I have been harassing him myself, and and uh, and my agents have been harassing him on Facebook, right? Um, and that's pretty funny. Uh, and he says that he actually reported it to the police, and they weren't able to to uh, to prove anything. Well, the police say they've never been in touch with this man. So, well, that's funny. It's not really that funny, you know. When you think about it, this man believes that I am harassing him. He is nutty enough to have me hear my voices in his head. You know, my voice in his head. I don't know how crazy this man is, but he's crazy enough to lie and say that the local police and he were trying to get to the bottom of this and were unable to do so, thinking that the police in my town wouldn't be talking to the police in his town, right? How crazy is that? Plus, he's violently threatening to kill people openly on his Facebook page. He's crazy, right? Well... He's, he's being charged, and, and uh, I'm sure they'll have a warrant out for his arrest in New York. But unless he gets pulled over on the road and they discover he's got an open warrant, he will not really probably be arrested unless the local police in uh, this town outside of Chicago actually go after him. And I don't have a lot of faith in that. If it were my police force, a police force in my town, they would definitely go after him. And and this guy in Buffalo who threatened me, the the head of this culinary institute, he actually came out to the police station a couple of days ago to pick up his summons, and he had quite a look on his face. My uh, uh, the police force, you know, the, the police detective who works on these issues for me. He told me that he had a discussion with this guy, and the guy is pretending that his Facebook was hacked. He said, you'll meet me, and you'll see that I'm not a violent man. Well, he is a violent man. At least he says he is in his comments and his messages to people on Facebook. 
He said to me in his, in his message that I should not feel safe in my home and that this is not over and et cetera. The things that, uh, you know, insinuating that as soon as he figured out where I lived, he was coming for me, coming for me, right? So he will be arraigned uh, in mid-April this crazy and they're coming you know i've got that was my the last one this character in chicago that was the 59th death threat i've gotten uh, and uh, most of them I, as i said i can't find and they're coming in at about a rate of one a week now so i expect more and as the Mueller report comes out and the conspiracy uh is heightened to include <laughs> robert Mueller and his team of 17 angry democrats <laughs> Well, I think more crazies are going to come out. And uh, a guy I know who helps me out with this stuff, he's a criminal psychologist, said that we're in the danger zone. We're in the danger zone. This is when the crazies will get crazier and they'll pick up a gun and attack, just like Hodgkinson attacked Representative Scalise on that ball field in Alexandria, Virginia. This is when the crazies will attack, when they feel increasingly isolated and the entire world is against them and they have no more allies in this fight against evil. Then only I can do something about this. Where's my gun? Yeah. That's what's going to happen. You know, I'm armed everywhere I go, whenever, wherever it's legal, I'm armed. My house is surrounded with cameras. I have shotgun stations in my, by the doors in my house. Um, I've talked about this publicly. I'm trying to avert the, uh, the inclinations of the slightly crazies. But if they come to my house, or if they try to hurt me or my family, they will not survive. They will not survive. I can tell you right now that I'm ready for them. I've had two years of living in fear and my wife, you know, being very upset and my children too young to really know. My 16-year-old knows. She understands what our family is facing. But the problem is Democrats, like Representative Nadler, Representative uh, Swalwell, and Representative Schiff and others who insist that there was, in fact, Russian collusion and it's being hidden and we can find it, only we can find it here in our Democratic offices in the House of Representatives. Bullshit. What you're doing is inspiring violence, just like you inspired Hodgkinson to shoot Representative Scalise and others on that ball field. Let's face it, as soon as that happened, the Democrats and the Republicans held hands and saying, kumbaya, you shoot one of us, you shoot all of us. Bullshit. The Democrats were always responsible for Hodgkinson. Always. And the fact that the House representatives, Republicans, all saying kumbaya with the people responsible for inspiring the assassin, the Republicans let us down. They let my family down because the people who are inspiring this violence are the ones who cannot let go the Russia collusion delusion. It's frustrating for me and my children and my wife. I hope it's not that kind of frustrating for you. But there are others who get these death threats. I'm not the only one. There are 50 or so Trump associates who were caught up as witnesses in this investigation. Most of them are hiding, I can tell you. I don't blame them. 
But I'm not hiding. I'm not going to hide. And if they come for me and my family, they will not survive. We'll be right back after these messages here on Still Standing. That's stillstandingpodcast.com. Please remain standing. We'll be right back. Hi, welcome back to Still Standing with Michael Caputo. Thanks a lot for sticking around. You can catch my podcasts of the past on pretty much any platform. I just got picked up by Radio.com, which is very, very cool. I was happy to be invited on that platform. I joined some of my colleagues, like Sean Spicer uh, and uh, and Anthony Scaramucci, uh, two very good podcasts. If you haven't listened to their podcasts, I really recommend you do, and you can find them on Radio.com. Uh, where my podcast is now available, and all my past uh, uh, episodes are there as well, but you can catch me also on all the other platforms of choice, and especially at stillstandingpodcast.com. That's where you'll see some videos as well as some blogging now and then. And and, uh, you can also catch me on Patreon, where a lot of people are supporting this effort with small monthly donations. I truly appreciate my Patreon supporters and uh, uh, folks that who are backing us up. Still Standing is out here every week. I try to put up 40 minutes. And today I also want to talk about Joe Biden. Yes, Joe Biden, Uncle Joe Biden, former Vice President Biden, former Senator Biden uh, of Delaware, once of... Pennsylvania, Scranton, Pennsylvania, a town I know fairly well. It's a lot like my hometown of Buffalo, New York, a lot like where my family is from in in Steubenville, New York. Scranton is a blue-collar, you know, broad-shouldered town, very good people. And uh, Joe Biden likes to continue his reputation as someone who understands the middle class, someone who... Uh, is still Lunch Bucket Joe, as he likes to call himself. I don't know anybody else who calls him that, but he calls himself that. Lunch Bucket Joe. Decidedly moderate Joe Biden does not match the politics of today in the Democratic Party. But let's face it, he's not much older than Donald Trump. He's a popular figure, even though, um, you know... You know, he's not of the Democratic ilk that we're used to seeing today, the Kamala Harris's and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's, the Ilhan Omar's that are dragging the Democratic Party into its demise. Joe Biden is decidedly moderate. And therefore, because America is not as leftist as the new Democratic Party, therefore, Joe Biden is more dangerous to Donald Trump. But I want to talk, I don't want to talk about Joe Biden and his qualifications for office and why I think he's a dangerous competitor to Donald Trump. There's a lot of things we can do to to minimize Joe Biden's effectiveness. He has a lot of stupid ideas. But what we're talking about today is Joe Biden, the toucher. I was speaking at a Republican headquarters in, uh, in uh, Fort Myers yesterday, Fort Myers, Florida. 
and I, and while uh, being, you know, photos were taken, I put my arm around a woman and she said, watch out there, Joe. And we laughed about it. She wasn't serious. Uh, she was uh, uh, a very affectionate person and, and, uh, and we enjoyed uh, a, a laugh about watch out there, Joe. But see, it's funny to her and I, and it's funny to most people. But let's talk for a minute from where this is all coming, from whence it comes. See, Joe Biden, he's not a threat to the leftists who are running for president on the Democratic side. They're going to be competing head-to-head with more moderate, more acceptable, more palatable, more normal people. Uh, There are going to be dozens, literally dozens, of candidates for the Democratic nomination. Joe Biden is the moderate. He's the one to beat. Joe Biden owes no one anything. Maybe Barack Obama, uh, who selected him as vice president, he'll always be loyal to Barack Obama, the former president. That's, of course, worrisome enough for me. (laughs) Anybody loyal to President Obama, to me, is suspicious. But beyond that, Joe Biden is his own man. He has his own ideas. He's got his own priorities, and they don't match those of the left. So all these stories coming out of Joe Biden uh, smelling people, women's hair, uh, Eskimo kisses. This woman complained in the news this week about Joe Biden leaning in and giving her an Eskimo kiss for what seemed like 15 seconds. I thought he was going to kiss me. We've all seen the pictures of him, you know, grabbing young girls and women as he's uh, taking photos with them. Remember, I love that photo of Joe Biden with the biker chick on his lap with the two bikers, one on either side, giving him the stink eye. I thought that's that picture alone makes me want to vote for Joe Biden. What a ballsy move that was. But really, Joe Biden is being tone deaf. A lot of people don't like being being touched like that. But I was struck yesterday by Tucker Carlson's commentary where he apologized to Joe Biden, interestingly enough, apologized for piling on and ridiculing his touchy-feely nature, his way of connecting with humans. He apologized. And he had a great reason to do so. He said that if we have to become this antiseptic society where people like Speaker uh, Pelosi, who said in his, he recited, he played a tape where she said that she pretends like she has a cold and that you have a cold whenever she interacts with other people. It's a straight arm handshake and you keep your face away from mine. It's a sad world to live in. I agree with Tucker Carlson. It's funny to watch uh, Joe Biden get torn up for this, and even Joe Biden, lunch bucket Joe, felt the need to apologize in a video this week. I get it, he said. I get it, and I'm going to respond to it. I'm going to change my ways. It's a selfie culture, he said. It's no longer a culture where you connect with humans the way I've always connected. <sighs> Sad, really. But let's take a look at where this comes from. It's important to know. It's important to figure it out because these are curated stories of Joe Biden 
smelling hair and touching noses and being a little bit too close. These are curated stories. And what do I mean by that? You see, I've been in politics for 30 years. I've worked on dozens of campaigns. And I know what a dump of opposition research looks like when I see it. These reporters aren't finding these people randomly. Oh, there's a woman in whatever small town America who had a forced Eskimo kiss. I found her myself, said reporter one. Bullshit, reporter one. This was served up to you in an opposition report from a candidate or from a, an ally of a candidate or from an ally of a potential candidate. One who can't run because Joe Biden is sucking all the oxygen out of the room for a moderate, moderate competitor in this race. Because let's face it, with all these loony leftists out there making us all laugh about their crazy ideas, the Green New Deal, for example, which one must pledge allegiance to if you want the entrance into the Democratic primary, if you want, that is the price of entrance, right? I think, and I'm looking at this, I see the earmarks, I've been in this for a while, I have run, uh, have been a member of two campaigns against the Clintons, 1992 and George H.W. Bush's um, uh, re-election effort, and in 2016, Donald Trump's race against Hillary Clinton. And I can tell you, I smell the Clintons here. I do. I smell the Clintons. I look at this. It's clearly an opposition research dump. They're serving these stories of creepy old Joe up in the media during the era of Me Too. And one by one by one, they're going to paper cut him out of this race. Their hope is that Joe does not get in, making room for Terry McAuliffe, the former governor of Virginia. That's my opinion. I think it's based on intuition as much as it's based on my own experience dealing with opposition research dumps from the Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton family. I remember how many times they attacked President Bush in 1992, passing around rumors of an affair, passing around just horrible stuff. I also remember, by the way, the Bush campaign refusing to let us engage with them. There were so many terrible rumors about Hillary and Bill Clinton, but we were told not to traffic in that information, by the way. George W. Bush, let it be known across his father's reelection campaign, anybody caught trafficking in these rumors about the Clintons will be fired immediately, he said. It was made very, very clear to us. But the Clintons were... They were out there in force delivering up opposition research, and they figured out how to do it right from 1992 to 1996, and then again in, in Hillary Clinton's run for the presidency, runs for the presidency, over and over. Now they've got it down. Remember how they dropped this bullshit Russia collusion narrative on people. Little by little, beginning in July of 2016, drip, drip, drip. The Clintons are, are, are paper-cutting Joe Biden out of this race. They're trying to make him understand by no subtlety, my friends. Joe Biden's got to know by now that this is coming from Hillary Clinton. This is coming from Bill Clinton. This is coming from Clinton, Inc., 
as we call it. Clinton, Inc. is dumping opposition research about handsy, creepy Joe Biden little by little into the media to try to encourage him not to get in. And then, of course, we see the stories about Hunter Biden and uh, uh, his Ukrainian connections, which appear to be pay-for-play for Joe Biden. Now, the Clintons should know this well. They've done it all, all their professional lives. They've Hillary Clinton, as, as Secretary of State, was you know, handing special treatment to nations and others who were giving money to the Clinton Foundation. She became wildly rich by doing this. They know what pay-to-play is about, and they understand. They get that Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, was made a multi-multi-millionaire by a, a Ukrainian oligarch and by Ukrainian actions that were looking, they look, to like they were encouraged by Joe Biden's own involvement in that country. Jack Posobiec has been revealing this on his podcast. I think it's really good work. Check out Jack Posobiec's work on Ukraine and others. But this company where Joe, where Joe Biden's son, Hunter, uh, was working, is working today. Burisma um, is owned by a, a, a Ukrainian oligarch who Jack Posobiec calls Mickey Z, an interesting cat. This guy in his 50s, a multi-billionaire, was a member of the political party uh, that, that uh, Paul Manafort was consulting. And that news is getting out there. It's being dribbled out there, paper cut after paper cut, letting, letting Joe Biden know that if he gets in this race, he faces the same kind of beatdown that Paul Manafort and Donald Trump got for working with the party of regions, the party of President, former President Yanukovych. Joe Biden is looking at his criticism in the media popping up here and there, and there and here. The, the Eskimo kisses, the smelling of the hair, the hug that lasted just a little bit too long. This is curated news, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't see it, take my word for it. This is Clinton, Inc. taking Joe Biden out of this primary. Because they want Terry McAuliffe, former governor of Virginia, who is a Clinton crony from way back. I, I don't listen. I, Terry McAuliffe is his own man. I, I, Terry himself told me we both appeared on a panel together, and I like Terry. He's a very bright, very capable man. He's a Clintonite, no question. But he told me as if Joe Biden gets in, he's not getting in. And you got to believe somebody who was so personally responsible for the success of the Clintons is going to be their candidate of choice for the presidency. My understanding is that Clinton, Inc. is lining up behind Terry McAuliffe, but he's not getting in if Joe Biden's in because Joe Biden would suck all the oxygen out of the room holding the moderates. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, Clinton, Inc. is behind the creepy Joe Biden stories leaking them one by one, and any reporter worth their salt will tell you that they're getting phone calls from Clinton allies who are placing these stories. Let me tell you how they do it. This is how they did it with the Russia stuff. This is how they did it in, even in 92 when they were peddling the, the, the rumor of, uh, of 41's uh, affair with a State Department employee. 
It's not like Hillary Clinton places calls to the New York Times. It's not even like a Clinton Inc. Uh, operator, the one in particular, makes all these calls. They spread these calls, uh, call assignments out to a variety of people, some of whom aren't really even so openly connected to the Clintons. They assign Joe this call to New York Times, Pete this call to the Washington Post, you know, Kate this call to uh, the Wall Street Journal, and etc. all the way down the line. So every major news organization has an Eskimo kiss to write about. And there's no real connection. And so when the New York Times reporter has coffee with the Washington Post reporter, who gave you that story on the Eskimo kiss? Well, I got it from Joe. Well, that's interesting. I got mine from Kate. So there's really nothing afoot here, right? Bullshit. Clinton, Inc. is taking out Joe Biden, ladies and gentlemen. And if you don't believe it, you're not that bright. <laughs> Watch it. Watch it. It's happening all around you. I know it. I see it. I smell it. It smells of dirty diapers and boiled cabbage. <laughs> Michael Caputo for Still Standing. That's stillstandingpodcast.com. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. This is a big news week, but isn't every week a big news week with Donald Trump in office? Ah, uh, yes. Be right back. Be right back after these messages. Hey, it's Michael Caputo again. I was still standing with Michael Caputo. That's me. It's my last segment for this week. As I said, I'm doing this on the road. I'm actually doing it on my iPhone. So the audio is a little different. It's also harder to do because I'm not able to click through articles while I'm making these recordings. And I wanted to spend a minute before the end of this episode talking about two articles or, or, or two media uh, works in the media that I want you to take a look at. I'm going to try and do it on my phone, which requires me to move away from Boss Jock Jr. into my uh, my browser. But I'm going to give it a shot. Let's. I, I want you to take a look at or listen to Byron York of the Washington Examiner's uh, podcast this week. Uh, this week and I think last week, uh, where he was recording two different sessions with John Dowd, the veteran attorney who was President Trump's lawyer for a critical period of the Trump-Russia investigation, uh, June 2017 to March 2018. He's very, very frank, John Dowd is, in Byron York's podcast. Byron York, by the way, one of the best reporters, I think, right now in Washington, D.C. And he saw the need for John Dowd's voice here in the, as, in the run-up to the, uh, uh, the release of the Mueller report. And the timing of these podcasts with John Dowd, because reporters were not chasing John Dowd, Dowd down the street. Nobody else had the idea uh, to sit down with John Dowd and have a frank conversation for a podcast. Or maybe they did, and John Dowd was picking one of the best reporters in Washington, Byron York of the Washington Examiner. But regardless, John Dowd, his, his thoughts on how things went down between... Uh, during the time of the Mueller investigation, it's it's really compelling. He says on these podcasts, among other things, and you really, the really revealing stuff, 
really great stuff. Um, uh, he's, he's talking about how on the surface, Donald Trump was attacking Mueller out in the media and Twitter, tearing them apart. But behind the scenes, his legal team was, was cooperating 100% with Mueller. And that they did things like cut deals on here. We're not going to assert presidential privilege here on this document where we really should. We're going to give it to you, but if you're going to release it to the public, you have to make a commitment that you'll come back to us and give us the opportunity to assert privilege. Now, that is really cooperating. That's not how uh, the, uh, the Clinton team did it during their investigations. I doubt that's how W's team did it. They would assert privilege and say, you can't even have the document, but they were transparent instead and said, take a look at this document. Hopefully, it'll inform your investigation, but we're not likely to let you use it in public or use it in the, if there's any you know, uh, prosecution. Really interesting tactics there. And also, I mean, Dowd goes on, and, and there are two sessions of this podcast, uh, and uh, he talks about uh, what he thought of uh, Jeff Sessions recusing himself. He talks about how Sessions heard about the uh, Rod Rosenstein's appointment of a special counsel while he was sitting in the Oval Office with the president. How embarrassing would that be, right? You're in the Oval Office with your boss, and then suddenly your uh, number two, who you chose to be your number two, uh, who had convinced you to recuse yourself because you had shaken hands with the Russian ambassador twice, he has appointed a special counsel to try to destroy your boss, whose office you are sitting in. Crazy, crazy stuff. I mean, but I, I really like this, uh, this podcast. You got to check it out. Um, it's uh, Byron York's Washington Examiner podcast, the last two episodes uh, with, uh, with, Dow with Dowd, with John Dowd. Really, really great stuff. And another thing I, I want you to take a look at, um, I wish I could tell you exactly how to click you know, on my page and go to it, uh, but American Thinker, another interesting um, uh, online news source, AmericanThinker.com. There is a story there by James V. DeLong, D-E-L-O-N-G, and it's called Muller's Chevache, a French word, burn everyone and everything Trump loves. And I'll read you just like a, a, a couple paragraphs that set this thing up. It's very interesting. DeLong says, medieval English kings were not nice people. Edward III, in particular, used his son, the Black Prince, to wage a form of warfare called warfare called chevauche, which consisted of killing and burning everyone and anything that could be reached by fast-moving raiders. The object was twofold. One was to destroy an opponent's logistics base and discourage supporters. The other was to bait the opponent into leaving a good defensive position and coming out into the open where he could be attacked. A noble needed strong nerves and a stony heart to stay behind walls while his subjects were slaughtered and his lands destroyed. As many have noted during the past week, Robert Mueller, his legal, Robert Mueller and his legal cell swords must have been aware for nigh on to two years at least that the accusation that Trump's campaign colluded with the Russians had no evidentiary support. Nevertheless, per the Attorney General's summary letter to Congress, the investigation spent tens of millions of dollars, employed 19 lawyers and 40 other professional staff. 
issued 2,800 subpoenas, executed 500 search warrants, obtained more than 230 orders for communications records, authorized more than 50 pen registrants, made 13 document requests to foreign governments, and interviewed 500 witnesses. Barr and Mueller seem to regard this recounting as cause for satisfaction, as evidence of great diligence by the Department of Justice. But each of these actions inflicted substantial expense and career damage on those unlucky enough to be caught in it. And Mr. DeLong calls this Mueller's chevauche. It's really a great article at AmericanThinker.com. Um, I really believe that this is what happened. This this slash and burn was designed to intim was to intimidate us the work for the president and to draw him out of a defensive crouch in order to expose him in a way that would make him vulnerable to an attack, vulnerable to an investigation, vulnerable to maybe a subpoena, and now vulnerable to impeachment. I do believe that the, uh, the report is going to provide the Democrats with a map toward obstruction, uh, a charge of obstruction and eventual impeachment. That's what I believe. I don't believe the president obstructed by firing James Comey. I don't believe that a president can obstruct by firing a member of his administration that is his sole uh, authority to appoint and to fire. But I believe the Mueller investigation report is going to give the Democrats probably what they want in order to have long term of hearings that will lead to impeachment, basically beating down Donald Trump and trying to impact his ability to be reelected in 2020. But the Chevauche stuff out of James DeLong at AmericanThinker.com, I encourage you to read it. It's a very, very good article. I don't see much by this guy out there. I'm looking for more. He's a good writer. And this idea is this concept of the chevauche and, you know, from the 14th century and how Mueller kind of followed that path. It's interesting. Anyway, listen, that's really um, uh, the two things I think you should take a look at. Byron York's uh, podcast with John Dowd. There are two episodes of that, two very, very good episodes. And uh, the, the article by James DeLong at American Thinker about Mueller's chevauche. Take a look at those things. Now, I'm going to let you go now. Uh, I'm going to head off into the day of work and uh, get this stuff edited up and up as soon as possible. Uh, here on uh, Still Standing. That's stillstandingpodcast.com. Remember, you can get my podcasts on radio.com. Very proud to be selected for that platform. I'm very uh, humbled to be standing beside Sean Spicer and uh, Scaramucci, the mooch. Uh, the mooch and the missus is his podcast. You got to check that out. Sean Spicer's podcast is really great, too. Thanks a lot for listening in. Remember, stillstandingpodcast.com. You can support us on patreon.com. This is Michael Caputo signing off for this week. Catch you next week on stillstandingpodcast.com. <laughs>